This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Thinking and Doing. In this podcast, I examine logical fallacies, cognitive biases, stoic teachings for masters past and present, and tips on being better at life. I hope it will be as instructive to you as it is to me in the pursuit of thinking and doing well. Be sure to check out and subscribe to the Voluntarist Voices podcast brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntarist Voices is a podcast featuring lectures, interviews, and audio essays by intellectual giants past and present. Hello and welcome to the podcast. For this episode, we're going to review a post on Reddit by the Gilliman. It's titled, 10 Quick Tips on Becoming a Better Person, Pragmatism and Action, Stoicism. Now, it's been a, been a few episodes since I've reviewed any sort of article or anything. I've just sort of been chugging, chugging along, looking at Stoic teachings, life pro tips, biases, fallacies. And I thought, you know, this one popped up. I thought it was very well written. It's concise. And I think it'll be very beneficial. It, it, it really is a bit of a, a bit of a review, I suppose, of various Stoic teachings. And it doesn't contain any quotes or anything. So it is, um, well, actually it does, it does contain, let's see, a couple of quotes, but otherwise it's very succinct and it's kind of a distillation of, of things. So let's do that. And I'll link to this and I'll probably even comment, I'll probably even share some comments by other people in response to this, but, but I will, I will link to this in the description so you can go check it out for yourself. Okay. 10 tips. Number one, start journaling, make it your life book. It is more than a simple diary, reminding oneself of the wisdom achieved from people, readings, experiences. All right. I don't, I don't do this. I used to do this and it wasn't as a stoic practice. It was more of a, um, I don't know. I used to be an active member of the Mormon church. I'm, I'm no longer. And that was something that they talk about when you grow up and when you, uh, as you get older, as you become an adult as well, that journaling is a good practice. And my grandfather was a journaler. He, he documented everything. He was just one of those people that just recorded everything. And in that spirit, I wanted to start journaling. And so I, I did for a bit by hand. That lasted about a week. <laughs> and then I decided to start a private blog on the blogger platform where I would, you know, pretty easily, pretty much by sending myself an email, add an entry and you could just boom, boom, boom. And it would archive it there in that, that hidden private blog. It wasn't a public blog. If you, anybody tried to access it, they would say it was private. I could access it because I was logged in. And I even set up a couple of journals for, or a journal for my wife. She never used it. And, and a journal for my son. And he would, I would say, you know, tell me about what you did today. And he would kind of tell me, this is when it was very little. And I would type it out and send it to that. And I don't know, it was okay. I just, I don't know. I just stopped doing it. It never really stuck with me. Uh, but lately, you know, I've been 
journaling in a sense, not really, because I don't really talk about my personal life, but I am using this podcast and my flagship podcast, Everything Voluntary, to get out my thoughts about things. Now, it's not always what I've been thinking about recently. It is It is more, here's some, here's some things for you to react to. Here's some things for you to to consider and to talk about in, in the moment where I sit down to record. But it has been very beneficial for me. It's been very therapeutic for me to sit down and just, blah, you know, just, just get things out. <laughs> get out my thoughts, get out my opinions, get out my, you know, how I'm feeling about things. So, you know, it's not quite the same thing as this. Um, I'm not trying to make excuses or anything like that. Maybe one day I will start journaling a bit more with uh, stoic intent, <laughs> if you will. We'll see. All right, number two, develop yourself. It is a lifelong process. A man with white hair and wrinkles hasn't lived long. He has just existed long. Your time is valuable, and it is the only thing that you cannot ever get back. This this is something I've been uh, much more consistent with than the previous tip. I'm constantly reading and going after new ideas. Um, I'm on and off with physical development. I'm on and off with exercise, physical exercise. That's not as consistent, but I have a large and growing library. I've got stacks of books here on my desk that I'm slowly making my way through. Some more interesting than others. If if a book doesn't hook me, you know, in the first couple of chapters, I will set it back on my to-read pile and try it again later on. Um, these books include philosophy, science, parenting, and I'm raising three kids. And I've made significant developments and significant improvements in how I do that job, which is probably the most important job that I do right now is how I'm relating to my children because I want them to grow up to be fantastic people. I don't want them to grow up to be broken and, and have issues that they've got to deal with because those issues will come out um, often, you know, in forms of violence, which I do not prefer. So that that's a big part of me that I've developed uh, my understanding about the world, my understanding about, you know, things we can call truth, about what truth is, about how, you know, things that we think are true may not be true, all sorts of things. You know, I I put this call out on my other podcast for people to to join me and have a chat with me. And I say you can you can be anybody. You don't have to be somebody that agrees with me in all of my opinions. Um in fact, I I'm more interested in people who aren't just, you know, a carbon copy of me. I want somebody who will either challenge me or introduce me to new things and we can we can riff on those things. Um because I I do. I want to learn about new things. I'm my job right now, I make most of my income driving around delivering food. And I've constantly got a podcast in my ear. I'm subscribed to maybe 60 podcasts. And it's always something interesting. If the particular episode from the, you know, a particular podcast is not interesting, I'll just simply skip through it. It deletes itself and it goes to the next one. I've always got at least 10 or 15 episodes in my playlist. And there's five, six episodes added every day, and I clear five or six episodes in the course of five or six hours of working. <laughs> so I'm, I'm constantly learning new things. Um, and those those things are developing me. 
Um, I used to do with my family a bit more traveling, which I think is probably one of the best ways you can develop yourself is to see new places and experience new cultures, right? Go out and see the world. We haven't done that as much lately because I'm not working exclusively off the internet. So it's not as easy to leave now that I'm doing the work I'm doing. But that, you know, that won't always be the case. And I, I plan on getting back out there again someday. Even if you're somebody, I think, where existence is hand to mouth, I think that there's probably always time to, to get in a book or to get in a podcast or to, to do something to expand your mind and to develop. And it, and it may even just be the job that you're doing. Okay. There's either going to be opportunities within the organization that you can develop toward, or there will be opportunities in other organizations that you can, you can switch tracks as it is and then develop. Okay. I don't know that anybody has an excuse to not develop themselves. You don't have to. It's not an obligation, but there's a lot of benefits to be gained from that. So it's something to, to think about and to possibly commit to in, in one way or another. All right. Number three, life is ephemeral. Focus on what really matters. No matter how powerful you are, hurting those around you will make you miserable. This is why you should be humble, honest, and aware. That is something you will never have to fear someone taking it from you. No matter how powerful you are, hurting those around you will make you miserable. Yeah, I agree with that. That's something I, I learned early on into my parenting career. I had, and maybe I still do, had unresolved issues that that caused me to allow my quote-unquote buttons to get pushed by this young child, and I would lose my temper and get very angry. And on top of that, I believed, wrongly, that children should be punished for quote-unquote bad behavior and uh, manipulated in that way and traumatized in that way. And yes, yes, that's what that amounts to, I believe, now. Um, and when I, when I would do it and I would do it very scientifically, I would ask, you know, like my wife and I were, we were at marriage, marriage counseling at one point, I remember asking about that and she'd say, oh, depending on the age of the child, you put in time out for this, this amount of time because blah, blah, blah. You know, it was all very scientific. <laughs> and so I would, but at the end of the day, I felt like shit. And I, I knew because I was a child once who had experienced these things. I knew that he felt like shit and that he hated me and resented me for it because that's how anybody feels when they're attacked and they're controlled in this way by somebody who's larger than them as I was. So that doesn't happen anymore. I learned better and I'm glad that I did. And if your children are important to you, then I, I would recommend well, I guess to get started, go over to everythingvoluntary.com and there's resources there that you can get to to learn about some some better ways to parent. Parent ways that don't have the effect of hurting those around you and making you miserable. I also like the bit here about humility and honesty and awareness. That those are things, those are attitudes that that other people truly can't take from you. All right, let's move on. Number 4, practice negative visualization makes you value life more. Contemplate the loss of whatever you love in life, making you value life more, realizing that some of your current worries are pointless, thus transforming your outlook on life, understanding how good your situation is in the present. This one's a bit more of a challenge for me, not not because it's not possible, but I guess 
wondering more about its value. I have a history of practicing negative visualization just um, as a natural result of uh, poor mental health. And in those those times, in those periods, I don't I don't think that that was valuable. Now I I could maybe steer it that way, but again, when you're in when you're in that state of mind, it's not something you're thinking about. So I don't I don't think that is what this is talking about. I think this is talking about something different. But when you when you have that sort of history. And then you read that maybe this should become a regular practice when you're no longer suffering from that. You're, you're kind of like, mm, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like somebody telling an alcoholic that they should have a glass of wine every day for for good health. <laughs> That's kind of what it's like, you know. May, maybe it is a good idea to have a glass of wine daily. Maybe that there's been a you know beneficial physical thing physically beneficial health benefits to doing that i've i've heard that but that's probably not good advice for an alcoholic right so that's that's what i when i read this number 4 just now that's what i think about however i do um there are some ways in which something similar to this is is constantly on my mind and that is this idea that in 100 years where will i be i will be dust right? I will be dust in some way. I will be gone. I will not be here. So when things are bothering me today, I'm quick to think, will this matter in a hundred years? If I'm not going to be around in a hundred years, then obviously this won't matter in a hundred years. So what am, what am I getting bent out of shape about it now for? I suppose that's a type of negative visualization. I don't know that's exactly what this means, but it does. It reminds me, look, life is temporary. In a hundred years, I won't be around. So why let this bother me now instead of moving on and enjoying life, right? A guy hits the side of my car. Now I've got a big eyesore on my rear passenger door on my new car I bought a year ago. Now insurance is paying for it. Doesn't cost me anything but my deductible. It's a it's a no charge payout because they ruled I was not at fault. So I get a check from them for $3,700. $4,200 minus my deductible. And I'm thinking I could go get this repaired or I could do something else with this money. I hope. I don't own the lien. <laughs> so the check is made out to me and my credit union. I've got to figure out with them what they're going to require. And if they require that it be repaired, I'm going to get it done as cheaply as possible. But in the meantime, I've learned that this isn't important. It's an eyesore. The door functions, the window functions. It's aesthetic. It doesn't matter. Maybe this $3,700 could be put to better use. At the very least, I'd prefer to put, put it towards the loan and get that thing paid off, you know, a couple years sooner. So we'll see what they say. But that, that's, that's been helpful to me. Where will I be in 100 years? Will this matter to me in 100 years? No, I'll be dead. So I guess to that extent, you know, I, I practice negative visualization. That's not quite what this is talking about, but... It's also not a it's also not a glass of wine every night for an alcoholic. So, let's move on. Number 5. Practice misfortune makes you more well equipped in the face of tragedy. It goes hand in hand with the previous point. The inability to exercise misfortune will lead to a much more devastating effect once it actually happens, since you won't be expecting the inevitable. What happens is si simply what happened. And Okay, so this this is a bit more where what I just described with my car comes into play. 
when it happened, I didn't get angry. I just thought, well, that's unfortunate. Now I've got an eyesore. And this car was only a year old. And now the door smashed in. And just about a week before that, we had a quick stop at our grocery store in our minivan. And I was parked in front of the parking, kind of in the yellow area, because I was just running in really quick. That's what I do. I kind of just park there, run in, come back out. And when I came out, my wife was talking to this guy, and they were looking at this part on my bumper that was now smashed in. And apparently this this really elderly gentleman, with I think his daughter in the passenger seat, who's older than me, had come around my van to turn and go around it, and had scraped the entire side of his car with my bumper. His car was far more damaged than mine was. And my wife's, you know, trying to do the right thing, take photos and stuff. And I'm trying to get his information because I want to file a, a, a claim against his insurance. And he's just really slow to respond. He's not being helpful. He's really, he really had me thinking that this guy probably shouldn't be driving. He's probably a bit too elderly for that. And his daughter kept saying, you know, dad, where's the, where's your insurance information? Where's, and he just kept, um, didn't seem interested in providing that to me. So eventually we had somewhere to be. So eventually I said, look, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Your car's worse than mine. We've got to go. Have a good day. And we got in the van and we left. Um, I was annoyed. I was actually more annoyed and angry with that at the time than I was when my car was smashed on the side. So I think that experience sort of, in a sense, prepared me for something a bit worse later on, right? It was, you know, great, this again. <laughs> it wasn't like a surprise out of the blue. It was just, oh my gosh, I just dealt with something like this. How unfortunate. <laughs> and it's going to happen. You're going to have uh, misfortune. Okay, that's part of life. It happens to everybody. And there really is no point in getting angry and upset. I mean, just kind of with the negative visualization, just think about misfortune. Think about stuff happening to, to things that you care about, like your car. Um, and when something does happen, it's just, uh, oh, great. Here's, here's a new challenge for me. Yay. I, I get to experience misfortune and I get to grow from it. How fortunate, how fortunate for me. <laughs> Um, but, but when, when worse tragedy happens later, you will be stronger and you will be less likely to totally fall apart and become useless because nobody needs that. Whoever's affected by whatever tragedy happens, somebody needs to be the strength. And that doesn't mean you can't cry. It doesn't mean you can't feel. It doesn't mean you can't blow up and hit something at some point. You can, but you need to give that its proper due and its proper place. And outside of that, You've got to take care of business. And if you have kids and you have people who depend on you and rely on you, then they're going to need you to be that rock. Okay, at some point, you're going to have to say, okay, this is hard, but I've got people who depend on me. I can break down later. I can break down again later and again later. But there are moments where I've got to be the rock. All right, let's go on. Number six, train perception. Turn bad into good. If you're trying to help someone and they reply negatively, instead of making your life more difficult, you can think of it as an opportunity to direct yourself towards new virtues, such as patience or understanding. That's really good advice um, for parents as well. Something that I've learned is when a kid is having a hard time, they don't necessarily need you to fix it. And in fact, 
putting yourself into the situation and trying to be a solution um, can be condescending. It can be disrespectful. It can make things worse. It can make them feel uh, negative thoughts towards you, resentment, anger, um, if, if you do that. Now, they, they may need your help. They may want your help. But at the beginning, you probably should exercise patience and understanding. Let them vent. Let them spill their emotions out. And you be there to be a crying shoulder in a sense. But also to allow them to, to do that. A kid having negative emotions is not a bad thing. It's not an evil that must be extinguished. No, let the kid have his negative emotions. It's good for them. That's how they learn to control their emotions. That's how they learn to feel and to have empathy for other people is by being allowed to have and to experience these emotions. They don't need to be shushed. They don't need to be quieted. They don't need to be threatened and yelled at to, to shut up and it's not so bad and you're not really hurt and blah, blah, blah. Stop that. Patience and understanding. That's good for you and it's good for them. So don't, you know, be careful when you try to help somebody. It's not always, you know, it's not always necessary. It's not always going to be welcome. And if it's not welcome, it's not their fault. Okay, it's not, it's not something that you should get angry at them because, you know, I'm just trying to help you. You don't have to be so mean. Rah, rah, rah. See, now, see, now you're making it about you. Okay, and it's not. It's their problem. Don't make it about you. Don't you become a problem for them. That's not helpful. All right. Number seven, memento mori. Meditate on your mortality. Here's a quote by Seneca. Let us prepare our minds as if we'd come to the very end of life. Let us postpone nothing. Let us balance life's books each day. The one who puts the finishing touches on their life each day is never short of time. That's by Seneca, if I didn't say that. It says, it reflects on the suddenness of mortality. That's a phrase that I learned, memento mori. And along with what I talked about before, about where will we be in a hundred years? We won't be here. We'll be dead. That's part of this, memento mori. Um, memento mori. Or the way I like to put it is, we all have to die. We all have to die. None of us will escape that fate. Right now, and this this may change, but right now, if something if something befalls me, like I discover I have cancer, I'm probably not going to do anything about it. I'm probably going going to allow it to run its course and let it take me. I'm really right now. It's easy easy for me to say because it's not true. Right now, or it doesn't exist. Right now. I don't want to have that sort of battle. My life is not is not uh, important enough to me, I guess, to think about spending it with this battle, this type of thing. Something that, number one, I can't afford. Number two, may ultimately prove to be a waste of time and resources. And number three, honestly, it's probably going to cause more suffering than otherwise. You know, and, you know, maybe there'll be advances in the future where all you do is you take a pill and you're cancer free. Great. Give me the pill. Um, memento, memento mori. I like that. I need to get like a ring or something that says that. Put it on, put it on my wall somewhere, a plaque. That's what I should do. My kids are familiar with that. I don't think they remember the phrase, but they do remember we all have to die. It's been, you know, death. It's been something that's been in the air, right? With the, the, the 2020 coronavirus pandemic. It's, look, we can be afraid. We can stay in our homes. We can be, you know, not go out, not see other people. We can just 
say, look, this is life now. Or we can say, look, memento mori, I've got things I want to do. I don't want to live the rest of my existence being a hermit. I don't want to do that. I want to go out into the world. And if I get sick, I get sick. If I die, I die. Memento mori. We all have to die. But we can choose how we're going to live until that until that eventual day happens. All right, number eight. Know what is under your control. Ignore what is not. A flight is delayed because of bad weather. Your phone got robbed and lost forever. If you cannot do anything about a situation, it is pointless to worry. A quote by Marcus Aurelius. Nothing is worth doing pointlessly. I wouldn't say ignore what is not under your control. It can be that knowledge can be useful in guiding what is under your control. Right? The weather is not under my control, but knowing it's going to rain tells me that it's probably not a good day to wash the car. Washing the car is under my control. The weather is not. Understanding what the weather is likely to do, and it's not guarantee, helps me to plan my activities, plan my day, plan better. So I don't think you can totally ignore it. I think that's probably not a very good way to put this. Um, I guess ignore uh, thinking about or don't think about wasting your time trying to change what you can't change. Instead, learn it, adapt to it, move on. All right, number nine. Amor fati. Love everything that happens. Love fate. The Stoics embrace this attitude, making the best out of anything that happens and treating every moment, no matter how challenging, as something to be embraced, not avoided. All right, I got to, this is probably the second or third time I've seen this phrase, amor fati, or amor fati, fati. I don't know how to pronounce that, but amor fati, amor fati, love fate. Whatever happens, just love it. Find a way to benefit from it. Find a way to enjoy it. Find a way to grow and to develop from it. Even if it's misfortune, even if it's tragedy, it can build you. It can, I'm not going to say make your life better, (laughs) because losing a loved one in such a tragedy is not going to make your life better. But in a sense, it will. It can make you better, right? What doesn't kill you can, not always, but can make you stronger if you handle it right. So that's that's something I could probably be a little better on, and I need to meditate on this more. Amor fati, amor fati, love, fate, whatever happens, love everything that happens. It's difficult. Things happen that you hate. <laughs> How am I supposed to love this when I hate it? <laughs> All right, number 10, last one. We'll get out of here. Create your own philosophy. Be a student of life. We spend too much time being around people who tell us what to believe, how you should act, and what to do with your time. It is up to us to decide to protect ourselves from the influence of the masses. Well, I would say that this is something that I've been doing now for going on 15 years. I have been creating my own philosophy. I've certainly been a student of life. And a lot of my beliefs are are far from mainstream. Okay, whether they're political beliefs, philosophical beliefs, parenting, beliefs, education, childhood education beliefs, which goes under that parenting umbrella, I think, are certainly not the result of influence of the masses. I've taken a lot of these different areas um, and I've, I've, you know, made them a part of me and combined them into what amounts to my, really my own unique philosophy. And that's, that's changing. You know, as a student of life, it's changing, it's evolving, it's adapting, it's uh, molding, molding. Uh, it's it's being molded 
constantly into something new. And that's that's really what this is about, right? It's when you really start becoming conscious of who you are and what you believe in, then you do. You, st- you do start making your own philosophy about things. And you'll find influences, right? And you'll either uh, copy practices or copy beliefs and you'll fit them into your worldview and your framework and you'll mold them around and you'll find new stuff and you'll, and this just sort of goes on. I think as you get older, um, that tends to stiffen up a bit, right? It tends to stiffen up a bit. You're not as easily molded in different ways um, when you come across new things, right? You you tend to um, be a bit more stubborn about letting go of things that you've held close and have been important to you for a very long time. Right when you're you're younger, you're sort of like wet cake, wet wet clay sloshing around in a bowl. But as you get older, you've you know you've been through the fire a bit, and you're you're a bit more stiff. You can still be molded, you can still change, but it's a little harder. Requires a little more work. All right, I don't really have anything more to say. So that's that's it. Ten quick tips on becoming a better person. Um, let's see if any really good points are made down below. Let me just do a quick browse. This person says that. Point 10 is the best. In the end, you realize everyone is different. There are no fit-all solutions. Our perception of reality is as different as it could get. Learning from one's own experience of life should be a continuous thing. And another person says, I've already found answers in my own journal. Okay, so there's another benefit of journaling is you're tracking a bit more about what you're learning along the way. And then if you go back in your journal 10 years ago, you you can read something about where you were at at that time. And there's going to be a new interpretation of that based on where you're at now. And that could be instructive, right? It could be beneficial. Okay, so this person has a couple of things to say. Point one, I journal regularly. And the best part is when I reread a month or two later, it's like having a philosophic dialogue with a younger self. I then add comments to my journal entries in square brackets to indicate how my ideas have developed. Uh, point three, hurting those around you will make you miserable. A great phrase. Point four, Stoics often emphasize transience to become detached. Your approach is different. It is more about appreciating more fully what we have, even if we risk pain when it goes. See, and I prefer that too. I don't like, I don't like this idea of, of total detachment. Okay. I think, I think that it's okay to be attached to people and to things, but that should be tempered with understanding that, that this is a finite thing. This is a, a temporary thing. Okay, so it's okay to, to, to care about it deeply and to hold it in great importance and to love it, but to also understand that it's not forever. Okay, and that goes for things as well as for people. So I don't think that we have to be totally detached and we have to be Vulcan about it. I don't think that is the Stoic way, although some Stoics may talk about that. That's That bit's never sat right with me. And that's okay, right? We're making our own philosophy in many ways. So there we go. Points eight and nine. This is a flexible, realistic day-to-day approach to a more fatty and the dichotomy of control. Much better than the soul-crushing belief in providence, destiny, and fate that so many modern Stoics are in love with. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's it. Okay. All right. That was great. Um, I hope that was beneficial to you. Like I said, I'll link to this. You can review it and meditate on it yourself. Um, You know, you can course, respond to people here or throw up your own thoughts. I'm sure others may be benefited by that uh, if they choose to engage. 
10 quick tips on becoming a better person, pragmatism in action. All right, thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to thinkinganddoingpodcast at gmail.com. Will you do me a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends.